You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Uh, We are going to continue on, guys, in our study of uh, the book of Exodus. And so if you were here with us last week, um, we only got through two verses. I had another three pages of notes prepared, but we only made it through two verses, and I think that was God's plan, uh, and we really, um, we, we, we took some time to really uh, set and remember um, just how God's working in the details in our lives, and so we were kind of joking about it before service tonight, you know, it's, um, you know, when somebody asks you, like, give a praise report but not of last, not of two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago, of this week, okay? Sometimes we have to stop and think about it a little bit deeper, don't we? Uh, but the reality is, is that God is working in your life every single day. The challenge is, is to see it, to recognize it. And so last week's message, we talked a little bit about write it down, people, write it down. When you see those things, and I know we're really good at writing down the really big stuff, you know, the healings from cancer, the, all of these types of things, but, you know, writing down those little details reminds us how much that God loves us. Even just stopping every once in a while and remembering. We did that in our community group this week as well. I, I just had everybody go around and say, all right, yeah, so we talked about it on Sunday, so now let's talk about it now. And What has God been doing? Give me a little praise report from this week, okay, that God's been doing in your life. Something something little. They can be in the details. And so, uh, and that's the beauty is uh, it's mostly in the details because God is in every detail of your life. Amen? He really is. So uh, this week, we're going to get into chapter 18. Uh, and so uh, lots of things start happening uh, in this chapter. We've got the Israelites. They're becoming more and more established as a community. Now, we look at these things sometimes, and sometimes I think we forget. We're not talking about a couple hundred people here. There's a few million people here, okay? Now, when they went into Egypt... Okay, uh, and, and it began to grow and all of these types of things. Uh, you're talking about a few hundred people. And, uh, but now that they've been there for several hundred years, and now that we're in the Exodus, right? I think it was over 400 years that now we're in the Exodus. There's mm, millions, a couple of million people is what most scholars suggest, that Moses is leading through the wilderness, Okay? All of these issues that we've had, the no food, the no water, all of these things, guys, the, the battle with the Amalekites, all of these things, there's a few million people involved in all of this. This is who's being protected. And you know, a lot of times when we read through the scripture, we're like, yeah, 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 small little community. Maybe we think of our own little community of people or whatever, but this is like a major city. This is a major city. I remember when I first moved, I don't know, I don't have any idea how many people live in the West Palm Beach, in the city of West Palm Beach anymore, but I remember when I moved to West Palm Beach, I think it was like 750,000 at that time. It's definitely got to be probably double that by now, right? We've probably well over a million people in West Palm Beach, I'm guessing, but I mean, you think about that. That's a big city, right? Only they didn't have all of the facilities of a city, they're wandering around in the desert. 
I love the fact that I can just jump in my car and run over to Target and get some stuff, okay? Yes, I shop at that fancy French store, <laughs> right? I love those things, so, uh, but they didn't have any of those amenities. They didn't have anything like this, but they were as big as most of our cities around here, okay? So uh, tonight, we're gonna jump into chapter 18, and we're gonna talk about a man by the name of Jethro, Jethro, all right? So uh, any of you young ladies out there, get your baby name book out, Jethro. It's a good one, I'm telling you. Jethro's a great name, okay? Um, at least it was in Kentucky where I grew up. Uh, so now some of you may remember, just depending how old you are, there was a television show uh, many years ago. Uh, it was called The Beverly Hillbillies. Um, and um, had a little song to it, not gonna sing it. Janelle told me I was supposed to, but uh, not gonna sing it for you. Um, let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. Oh, yeah, uh, if you've never heard it before, but one of the people in the show, his name was Jethro. Now, this Jethro is completely different because the guy in the show was a moron. This Jethro is actually really intelligent, but that's just not one of those names you hear very often, is it? Jethro. A lot of people like to name their kids after uh, Bible names, and, but Jethro just doesn't show up all that often, right? And so, uh, but I don't know why because his name actually is pretty significant. And uh, if we go back to Exodus chapter two, it talks about Jethro for the first time and uh, it actually gives him another name and it's, uh, I don't even know how to say this properly, it's Reuel, 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 um, something like that, R-E-U-E-L. Uh, and so uh, we're, tonight we're gonna talk a little bit about the meaning of those names. We understand in scripture there's always a meaning to the names that God has given people uh, in the scripture. So we're gonna read the text and uh, pray over it, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the meaning of those names and uh, some of the other things that God wants to take us through tonight uh, in the scripture. So read along with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter 18. We're gonna read through 1 through 12 tonight. Y'all there? It's up on the screen. Uh, so, uh, Exodus 18, it makes it really hard to find in your Bible, doesn't it? Um, Exodus 18, verse one. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, uh, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her, and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other of, the, of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them along the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. In that, he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the name of the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians 
and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, before God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that, uh, Lord, just by being in your word, Lord, by reading and, and uh, studying your word, Lord, that uh, you bless us. Lord, you, you help us to understand who you are more and more, Lord, and you draw us in. So tonight, Lord, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would minister to us as we go through your word. Lord, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, and give us understanding of what you want us to know from this, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus, and just ask for your guidance as we go through this. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, what's in a name? What's in a name, right? You guys like Shakespeare? What's in a name? A rose by any other name is still a rose, right? And so that's a common question. What's in a name, right? Do you know what your name means? Mine means of great fame. I like it. Y'all should get a name that means of great fame. It didn't work out for me. Uh, yet. That's what I say, yet. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, let's look at uh, verse, verses one through four here. And so let's talk about this name Jethro and then the name uh, Reuel, uh, as we're gonna call him tonight, Reuel. Uh, that's about the best I can do with that one. Uh, so we know that names have meaning in scripture, so let's look at this. Um, it's not a common name, as we've talked about, but Jethro, the word means his excellency. His excellency. All right. So some scholars believe it may have been a title and not really his name is why in Exodus chapter two, he's also called Reuel, which means friend of God. So these are actually really great names. Okay. Now, your kid may get bullied on the playground if you name him Jethro, okay? I'm just saying, right? Again, unless he lives in Kentucky or Tennessee where those names are perfectly acceptable. Uh, so, but anyway, it means friend of God, Reuel, or his excellency. And so it could have been a title, uh, but we don't actually know that. And so I really like looking into the meaning of this name because some Bible scholars have suggested that Jethro was actually a pagan priest who would later be converted to the Lord. But this really shows us that his name that God called him in Exodus chapter two is that he was a priest of God. And I think that's vitally important as we look at the scripture here. So uh, now they hadn't adopted all of the cultures and all of the things of the Jewish people. We saw that because once you go back to, to chapter two, uh, three and four there, you begin to see, actually, I think it's in, in chapter six, if I'm not mistaken, when Zipporah comes out uh, and they're getting ready to leave and go to Egypt that Moses' children have not been circumcised his oldest son, it's the only one that's mentioned at the time actually, is Gershom. And his son had not been circumcised, which means that they were not practicing the customs and traditions of the Jewish people, but the Bible does refer to him as a friend of 
God. So he's a Medianite, okay? He's a Medianite. And the Medianites, all right, uh, one of the interesting things about the Medianites is the Medianites were uh, descendants of Abraham, okay, but they were not Israelites. So they were, we all know the song, right? Father Abraham had many sons. See, I'm singing a lot tonight, right? Right arm, left arm. You guys know that one, right? So, but anyway, he was a descendant of Abraham, but not a descendant of Israel, right? And so he was not an Israelite. And many of the Midianites ended up being enemies of God, but not so with Raul, who was considered a Midianite priest uh, during that time. But we can see that he recognizes and knows the God of Moses. And so uh, when we look at him, right? Uh, we see uh, the, hold on. Yeah, I skipped a little section. I was like, wait, I thought I had more there, right? Uh, we know that this guy is truly a man of God. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later when we get uh, deeper into Jethro and Moses and their relationship there uh, and how it works a little further in these verses. Uh, so I'm going to let that rest uh, there for just a few minutes. Um, so, uh, but what's fascinating here is by all measures, Jethro is a Gentile. He's a Gentile, right? By all measures, Jethro is a Gentile. Now, we're in the Old Testament. Here we have a priest that's not Hebrew, that's not an Israelite. And so this is a fascinating thing. Uh, and I think that's why his name becomes so important to us is to show that he truly was a man of God. And so there's several other things about this section of passage that really stands out for me. And one of them is that uh, Zipporah and her sons weren't with Moses this whole time. We don't see that until right now when they're coming back to join together with Moses. We don't realize at some point during this journey, Moses looked at his family and said, okay, you guys go back uh, to your father's house. Because Jethro did not journey with them, but now Jethro is bringing Moses' wife and his two sons to come along with him, right? And my theory, there's a lot of theories on when Moses may have sent him back, but my theory is that Moses realized his wife was pregnant, okay, and probably sent her back home to have the baby with her father-in-law instead of traveling through the wilderness with the Israelites and dealing with the plagues and everything else that was going on with that. To me, that makes a lot of logical sense that as, as somebody that, that's been part of that, you know, having been a husband, having children, all of those things, that would be the husbandly type of thing to do. You're about to have a baby. Hmm. It's probably better for you to journey back to your father and father's house and have the baby there where it would be safe and secure, all right? And so we see now that Eleazar and Gershom come together with her. Now, it's interesting when we start to look at their names. Remember that Gershom's name meant sojourner in a foreign land. Now, remember that Moses, who grew up in Egypt, left out of Egypt, went into Median there where he met his wife. And that whole story is, is based on the fact that Moses went and there was a well, okay? And there was these girls at the well and they were trying to get water, okay? And then there were shepherds who were like aggravating them. And Moses ran them off, drew the water, 
for the, the ladies, okay, gave the water to their flock and sent them on their way. And the girls go home and they're like, dad, dad, you won't believe what's happening. He's like, why are you home so early? Because usually the girls would go and they would have to wait out almost the entire day to be able to feed the flocks because no one would let them get water at the well, right? And they're like, well, there was this really great guy there, right? And he got us water and he did all these like, well, where is he? You should have brought him home. Go fetch him, go get him, bring him back. So they go and they get Moses and Moses. And this is how God connects Moses with Jethro, the Midianite priest, okay, in this area. And this is how God brought them together. And I believe that wholeheartedly. This is how God brought them together. If God didn't want this union to happen, he would have stopped it right there. They would have gone home, talked about it, and Moses would have been on his way and all of these types of things. But God brought Moses together with Gentiles. I think that's really important. I think that's really important. And so uh, Moses, his second son, Eliezer, Eliezer, his second son, okay, um, his name actually means um, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this tells us that he was born after the Exodus, right? He's named after the fact that the God of my fathers has been my help and has delivered me from the sword of the Egyptians or the Pharaoh. That's his name. That's the meaning of his name. That tells us that he was born after the Exodus, okay? And so, uh, so here we see that each of these names have significant meaning and significant reason that God would call Moses to name his children these things. We see different stages of Moses' life. One, maybe he's a little bit frustrated because one of the things that Moses dealt with was the fact that he jumped on his calling a little too quickly. You guys remember that story? So he's there in Egypt. He sees one of the Egyptians beating the Hebrews. And he's like, those are my people. And he goes over and he ends up killing the Egyptian, digging a hole, burying the guy in the sand, and no one's ever going to know about it, right? Only people saw him, Right? And so he ends up leaving Egypt, having to kind of flee. And he spends 40 years tending sheep right there at Jethro's house. And then God shows up to him in a burning bush. So he was truly a foreigner in a foreign land. So when his son was born to him, that's what he named him. I'm a foreigner, I'm a sojourner, I'm a traveler that's kind of trapped in this foreign land. I, I don't know what God is doing. I guess this is, my, this is where I am. I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And he did it for 40 years. And then the burning bush, and then his call. And then he would go and be called to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Now you see Moses functioning 100% inside of the call that God has given him and his second son has a name that is praiseworthy. Not a name that says, ah, this is where I am and I feel a little frustrated because that's kind of where his first son is named, Gershom. 
I feel like I'm in a foreign land. I feel like I don't fit in here. I, I feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. The second son's name is God is my deliverer, basically. He's my deliverer, okay? And so we see that his sons actually represent different phases of his life. Their names represent different phases. There's something beautiful about functioning inside of the call that God has on your life. Things just are different. When you know you're out of place, when you know you're not where God called you to be, but for some reason you're kind of stuck in that place for a little while, it affects you. It affects your mentality. It affects the things that are going on in your life. And then you see that God, okay, in his sovereignty, is gonna put Moses right where he's supposed to be, right? And now, this second son, his name has different meaning. So uh, that is uh, some of the really cool stuff that I think that you see when we begin to study and look at some of these names. You get to see a little bit of where Moses was. I feel completely out of place. Okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I recognize that God is doing these things in my life. And so uh, let's jump to, to verses five through nine. And so uh, this, this is Moses getting together with his father-in-law, okay? He greets him. Remember, his name is His Excellency, all right? They greet them in a traditional greeting, all right? And then, then uh, they move in, and the Bible says that Moses begins telling everything that God had done. Now, you gotta remember that Jethro actually brought Zipporah because he had heard what God had done. So people were talking. People were talking. It was getting around. Did you guys hear about what happened to the Egyptians? Did you guys hear about what God was doing over there? Did you guys hear what the Hebrew God was doing? Be careful when the Israelites come through your land because uh, that God is doing miraculous things. Did you hear what they did to the Amalekites? Right? The power of testimony, guys. And so this is a retelling of this story. Uh, so it's always important for us to be able to tell what God has done. That's why we actually spend a lot of times in our community groups telling what God has done in our lives. We call it your testimony, right? Your testimony. So when Je Moses and Jethro come together, okay, they're greeting each other, they're, they're having a good time. It was a time of celebration and a time of remembering. And throughout the book of Exodus and throughout a good portion of the Old Testament, I think it, it happens about five times in the book of Exodus, and then throughout uh, many different passages in the Old Testament, the scripture tells the Israelites to tell their children and their children's children what the Lord has done for them, right? What the Lord has done for them. Guys, we see it, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen for you note takers. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. you can refer to it. Joshua uh, chapter four, six through seven. Joel chapter one, verse three. All of these verses remind us, and some of them are talking about the Passover, and some of them are talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. Some of them are talking about different things throughout time that God has done for them. And so just like we talked about last week, where we write it down, the importance of writing it down is it brings it to our remembrance and we can continue to share those stories with other people. 
God is working, people. He's doing miraculous things. And if you don't see it, you're not paying attention because he is. Even in the dark times, even in the lonely times in your life, even in the times when we don't feel it. That sounds like a song. I should write it. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Right? I mean, that's good. That's good stuff. Let me write that down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That is a song, of course. Uh, so, but, but that is the reality. God is working, and we need to tell those stories. And we need to retell those stories. And we need to tell them again. And we need to remind our kids of how God has provided and how God has done these things in our lives. I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. That's like one of my favorite, favorite ways to share with people is telling stories. And one of my favorite things is to tell people what God has done what God has done. I use my stories of being able to go to Austria and stay in a castle on a regular basis because it's something that God has done. God didn't let anything go to waste. Those cool stories like that, you guys, you know that that story of, of us, Daniel and I, Pastor Daniel and I getting to go to Austria, okay, the, it I'm a history teacher as well as a Bible teacher, and it just so happens that that correlated with certain parts of history that I get to bring into my classroom as well. And it's so cool. And I get to share what God has done. And he continues to do. That's the amazing thing. He continues to do. I tell people all the time, I've been to Italy, I've been to, I'm getting ready to go to Israel again in May. And we'll be going to Jordan and all these things. And if y'all saw my bottom line, if y'all saw my taxes, if you saw my checkbook, you'd be like, you went where? You did what? No. You're a world traveler? You get to do what? And I'm like, yeah, sure. My God is big. My God is mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I learned that song in Sunday school. Did y'all learn that song? Remember it. I, I read a, a story once that said a theologian who had studied the Bible for 30 years, they said, what's the greatest thing you've ever learned about scripture after 30 years of studying the scripture? And he said, I learned it in Sunday school. And it goes like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, the things we learn in Sunday school. The things we learn in Sunday school. Man, retell these stories. What is God doing in your life? Tell other people about it. When Moses met somebody that was important to him in his life, his father-in-law, he wanted to share with him what had been done. Had Jethro heard Probably so. And Jethro received him. He listened to it. He got that firsthand information, okay? And that testimony becomes a powerful witness of the way that God was working. Retell your story, church. Retell your story. We do it a lot in community groups. Your testimony, this person's testimony, this person. But there's a lot of testimonies in this room that I've not heard yet. I want to know how God's working in your life. I want to see that. I want to know how he brought you from where you were walking in darkness until you were in his glorious light. 
But not just that. I also want to know what he's been doing since then. Because a lot of times when we prepare our testimonies, church, we do all this darkness, 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 and then I got saved. Woo! Right? Oh, and trust me, that's a big one. But sometimes the people you're sharing with don't always understand, okay, that the, the power of just that simple phrase, and then I got saved, okay? But the reality is, is that since that moment that you got saved, God's been working. He's been doing if you got saved last year, God's been doing over the year. God's been doing amazing things in your life. If you got saved 30 years ago, God's been doing amazing things for the past 30 years in your life because that's who he is. He doesn't change. He is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. He is the same God. How are we doing? Good. All right. Got another hour and a half. I'm kidding. Y'all should know by now, right? Uh, so this last section of this passage of scripture, there's a couple of verses here, and uh, I think they're, they're really important. Um, so last week we talked about the fact that Moses, uh, a type of Christ, right? And so uh, we got we went back to those last couple of verses where it talked about a memorial praise and God told him to write it down and, and all of these things. And then we, we talked about and gave the illustration that Moses standing with his arms stretched wide with a staff in his hand, okay, represented a type of salvation for those people. When his arms were up, they were winning, right? And they were stretched out and they were reached out and he had a staff in his hand. And so that takes us back to that illustration. And we know that Moses, as a type of Christ, okay, because scripture is very clear about that, that Moses is a type of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Moses was a sinner in need of a savior. That's important for us to recognize. But there are lots of types of Christ in scripture. And so here you have, guys, Moses standing on that hill, right? And we think back to Christ on Calvary. And then on Christ on Calvary, we see salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike. And I don't think there's any mistake here to talk about what God has done in the life of Moses by joining him together with a Gentile family. That's not a mistake. That's to remind us, no matter how far we go back in Scripture, that God's salvation plan from the beginning was for both Jews and Gentiles. Nothing's changed. He's the same God. He's the same God. He didn't change his mind and say, y'all know what? I think I'll include the Gentiles now. It was only the Jews for a little while. But now I'll include the Gentiles. And I said we would get back to the Midianite priest, okay, uh, Jethro, right? Uh, so we will, okay? We're, we've got Moses as our type of Christ. Deuteronomy 8, uh, 18, 15 reminds us of that. And so does Acts 3, 18 through 23, which is quoting Deuteronomy 18. Isn't that cool? The Bible just does that all the time, right? You see the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, and it's all about Jesus, okay? And so uh, we're, 
Deuteronomy 18 is referring to this type of Christ. And let's read the text, and and this text in uh, Acts chapter 3 speaks for itself as that quote from Deuteronomy 18. It says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through the holy prophets. And here's the quote. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. All right? And that's the quote from Deuteronomy 18, 15. All right? Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. We see that the Bible is referring to Moses as a savior in a sense, right? That he is referring to him as the one who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt, Egypt representing sin, okay? And that Moses would be the the leader for this. So as we talked about last week, there's no mistake that his arms held high would bring victory for the people. Okay? But not just for the Israelites. It was after his arms were raised high and they had victory for the people that Jethro felt comfortable coming and being a part of the Israeli community at that time. Jethro said, now's a good time to go. There's been a great victory. Now is a good time to go. They were there before. They've been there since the beginning. But there was a season where it wasn't right for Jethro and Zipporah and the children of Moses to be together with the community of Israel. But it was after the victory, Moses' arms lifted high, God delivering the people, that Jethro said, it's a good time to be together with Israel and worship the Lord together. And that's exactly what they did. Jethro and Zipporah and Gershom and Eliezer, okay, went, and the first thing Jethro did was he went and he greeted Moses, and they worshiped together by retelling the story, and then in Scripture, right there in verse 10 through 12, it tells us that they made an offering. Jethro did. Jethro made an offering. Jethro sets up this offering And Aaron, okay, and the elders come together and they all offer a burnt offering and worship together, both Jews and Gentiles. A sacrifice and a burnt offering, they worship the Lord together. In the temple, you guys remember the tabernacle, okay, the temple, the people would get caught up in separating the Jews and the Gentiles, okay? They would get caught up in separating the Jews and the Gentiles. And and during this time period, the Jewish people actually became very prideful to the point where they said that outer court that God has set up for us to worship in the same place, well, yeah, that's really, no, we can put other stuff in there. It really doesn't matter. You know, we can do whatever. And that is where we see in scripture God turning over tables, 
Because God always intended the Jews and the Gentiles to be able to worship in the same place. Always, from the beginning of time, okay? So they greet dignity and respect one for another. There's a mutual respect between Moses and Jethro. And because of that mutual respect between these two men, they're able to come together in worship. Jesus would pray it in John 17. He would say, Father, make them one as you and I are one. I always tell people, John 17 is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture that we have. Here you have God the Son praying to God the Father, and it's written down. Isn't that cool? And he said, Father, help them to be one. And in Galatians 3.28, Paul would say there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor master. In Christ, we are all one. We are all one. God has not changed. Old Testament, New Testament, Jews and Gentiles working together for the glory of God. I just wanna take you on a little journey through some Old Testament Gentiles Maybe you didn't know they were Gentiles. How about Ruth? We all know Ruth, right? Ruth, she was a Gentile. She would marry Boaz. That's a great example because Boaz is another type of Christ. You have a Gentile and Boaz representing a type of Christ joining together in holy matrimony. In holy matrimony, right there, early on in scripture, Jethro, here's a great example. Rahab in the walls of Jericho is redeemed. Scripture talks about her. She's in the, the lineage of Jesus. King Darius in the days of Daniel. Did y'all know he got saved? King Darius in the days of Daniel recognizes that Daniel's God is the one true and living God and he confesses it with his mouth. He recognizes that Daniel's God is the one true and living God. What about the Ninevites? Gentiles, guys. The Ninevites. Jonah said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I'm not going to those people. Because what if they change? I don't want to receive them. And they did. And he still didn't want to receive them. Beautiful story of how God continued to reach all people, all people for his glory. We've got uh, Naaman, the Syrian general in 2 Kings 5. Guys, there's so many examples in scripture of Gentiles worshiping the living God in the Old Testament. I love this story of Jethro and Moses and the community that they have together. One, even before Christ was crucified, one body of believers worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. John 3, 16, y'all know it, right? Everybody knows John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, right there, just stop right there, whosoever, whosoever. Are you a whosoever? I'm a whosoever. It's good to be a whosoever, y'all that you can plug your name into that whosoever 
that you are a whosoever. So we're gonna come together and we're gonna take communion. Doesn't matter whether you're visiting for the first time. Doesn't matter whether you're uh, a member of this church or uh, some other church down the road. It don't matter. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're a whosoever, we want you to take communion with us. We want you to celebrate the work that God has done because we are one big body and Christ is the head. And I think we see that all throughout scripture. So as Josh comes and we prepare our hearts, we come before the Lord and remember the work that he continues to do, binding us together as his body. I wanna read this scripture to you and then we'll spend some time before the feet of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. I love that scripture. It's Jesus' arms stretched open wide that gives us the victory. And because of that, together, we can stand firm. Nothing will move us from the love of Jesus. Let's spend some time at the feet of the Lord. Prepare your heart for communion. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.